Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Well, welcome back, my friends, to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. And today, my friends, we have an interview with Dr. Marion Mass. This is a fun interview. I'm going to split this into two parts because, honestly, I'm a little behind in creating some new stuff. And this interview went for a while, so we're going to split it into two parts, one for this week and one for next. And I think what you'll enjoy about Marion, we start off, of course, getting to know her a little bit. And everything really builds on itself. And there's this moment where she gets emotional in the podcast. And there are just some, some very touching moments in this first part that I know you are really going to enjoy. Just to give you a small sample, you're going to discover why a farm girl, I'll put that in quotes, raised around Mennonites, believes that manure shoveling helps you in life. So you're going to talk about that. You're going to learn where she believes common sense comes from and how she has been applying it in her parenting. We're also going to talk about how slaughtering pigs and a female doctor influenced her to enter medicine. And also, my friends, you're going to discover how she lived on $9,000 a year and still saved two grand when she was in medical school. And then finally, we're going to be getting in this first part of the podcast into this emotional moment that she changed directions in her medical career. As a matter of fact, she abandoned a fellowship. So you're going to learn about that. And then finally, you're going to discover her time hacks to save money. So I think this is going to be really fun. You're going to enjoy it. With no further ado, please enjoy this interview with Marion Mass. My name is Dave Denniston, your host, and welcome back to the latest episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. And my friends, I want to welcome you back to a monthly fireside chat with a physician to get to know their journey, their joys, and their struggles with finances and outside of finances. And as you know, this show is not always about actionable content. Today is about having a chance for you to see behind the curtains, to walk in another physician's shoes, and to experience what they've gone through. Our next guest, she is a physician that, in addition to that, she's involved in advocacy for physicians, and she has about a thousand other activities that's keeping her busy, probably more so than any other doctor I've ever seen. Uh, to give you a small sample, she's a pediatrician at a children's hospital in Philadelphia. She's a board member of Physicians Working Together. She's on the editorial board of the Doylestown Intelligencer. And on top of that, she is the co-founder and executive VP of the Practicing Physicians of America. Ooh, it's a lot of stuff. I don't know how she does it. So I can't wait to hear about this journey. Please help me welcome Dr. Marion Mass. Welcome, Marion. Oh, David, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on the program and a pleasure as well. Well, you know, it's so fun for me, Marion, to, to have people like you on. And you and I had connected through LinkedIn, which I think is just a great channel 
to connect with people on. So I'd encourage everyone, feel free to reach out to either of us because we are folks that, that use LinkedIn. And uh, Marion, today I, I want to just have you share with us your wisdom and your journey because this is a podcast about helping to empower doctors with knowledge, whether it's talking about debt or taxes or living, or li- living a liberated lifestyle or enjoying medicine better. That's what this is all about. But before we get into that, I just love people to know about where you have been to, to let us know about your journey and your wisdom. So tell us a little bit about you, Marion. Where did you grow up? And uh, a question I always like to ask is, what did your childhood smell like? <laughs> well, am I the first person to say cow manure as an answer? <laughs> cow manure. It's true. It's true. So I grew up in Bucks County. We're in suburban Philadelphia. And, you know, you would think that um, Hilltown, Pennsylvania is actually not the well-heeled suburbs. I was literally surrounded by wonderful salt-of-the-earth Mennonite farmers. And um, I grew up on six acres. My father was a Philadelphia city boy. He was the baby of eight. And he left the city and couldn't wait to dig in the dirt. So he bought six acres, and I was raised on those acres with my four brothers. Um, We grew almost every vegetable we ate and... Uh, my father allowed these Mennonite farmers to farm the land, and they fertilized with cow manure, and we had to shovel it on the garden. And I think that the more literal manure that you shovel, the less figurative manure you shovel. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Um, how did – you know, I think about that. I grew up in a suburban area where it, pretty much everything was around, you know, you didn't have to work the farm, so to speak. How did that kind of play into your work ethic and who you are? Tell us more about what that was like in growing up, shoveling manure and doing stuff that a lot of us that grow up in suburban areas don't have to do. Oh, wow. Of course. Um, Neither of my parents went to college, and they raised Hmm. the five of us. Among us, we have a cop, a business owner, someone who works for the same business, and my other brother, who's one of my best friends, is an MD-PhD, a cardiologist who trained at Emory. So how did two parents who didn't even go to college achieve this? And by the way, we're all happily married. We all vote in every election, and uh, we all have jobs and do volunteer work. So I think that we were raised in um, a very strong work ethic. comes from my father's German side and my mother's Slavic side. And then as well, um, there's a lot of common sense. And I think that when you're working the land or you're doing something real with your hands, whether it be, I don't know, animal husbandry or woodworking or what have you, you learn common sense. I mean, and I I guess, I don't know what I would say learn. It just becomes part of you. I think that in our modern world, because people are so hands-off, we're losing sight of that. And I tell my kids all the time, and they actually garden with me now, um, Mm. I make them do daily tasks, daily chores, and things like gardening because I think that that common sense and that work ethic are two things that have carried me through uh, my entire life and are probably more responsible than anything else for anything that anyone would measure as success in my Hmm. life. Interesting. So you're growing up, you're on a farm surrounded by by Mennonites. Was was values something taught in the home or around you, kind of by being around neighbors like that? What kind of influence was that like on you, growing around Mennonites like that? Oh, oh, both. Um, you know, there's other people that lived in our area, and I was actually raised Roman Catholic, and I still practice 
um, and our children do as well with us. But I guess maybe I recognize that since we had people around us that came from different backgrounds, that there are many paths and um, many paths to goodness. How about I say that? Um, so it was a huge influence, but my mother would always say that charity begins in the home. And I don't think she meant just doing kindness for others. I think she meant having values that, that begins in your home. Um, you know, we're very fond of saying it takes a village. And sometimes it does take a village when there's homes that are broken and unable to bring values into them. But I think that they let us feel our value system under our roof, under our childhood roof, and then sent us out into the world at large and allowed us to experience, um, you know, other, other things. You know, so for instance, we, we went to uh, Bible school at, you know, Mennonite Bible school and, and did wilderness camp. My brothers were all Boy Scouts. You know, they saw people in, in that venue. We were taken into the city to visit relatives and, you know, we did volunteer work within our school, within our church, within our community. Um, so we were not kept to just underneath our home. We were, as we got older, we were allowed to extend. And um, I think that that solidified the the idea of charity and of values for all of us. Fascinating. Huh. Well, did, did, as you're growing up on the farm, did... Uh... And, and doing growing up as you did, your brother wanted to be a doctor eventually. When did that journey happen for you? You know, when did you grow to love medicine? Because you weren't <laughs> around doctors. You're, you're in that community. Was there someone you looked up to, or how did that come about? Oh, absolutely. Um, so a little, a couple things. Um, I had a pediatrician who was a woman growing up, so she was the only woman in the practice, and I adored her. She retired right when I moved back to this area. I actually live in the area that I grew up in. I did uh, medical school and residency all over the country and lived in other places as well. But when I came back here, I had my firstborn. He was four months. And um, she was just retiring, but she was a big influence on my life, uh, Dr. Schiller. And Hmm. I just, you know, when you're a young girl and you decide, I want to go do something and do something at the time, I guess I... I would say something important or something great, something wonderful. Um, she did really influence me. And I think um, the brother that is a doctor, he and I just both shared a love of science and nature, animals, you know, things like that. So my father, we didn't grow up with money. Um, and we didn't actually live on a farm. My dad farmed the land and had neighborhood farmers farm it. But he would use as his vacation, you know, for the first I think until I was in seventh grade, he would sometimes just take the week off and do a staycation. And one of the things that we would do is go help the neighboring farmer butcher his animals. And I remember um, watching, you know, the steers and the pigs be shot and then getting handed an eyeball to dissect and, like, watching the animal be cleaned out. It was fascinating for me. I loved that. My poor mother, you know, because she has one daughter. and I'm sure she's thinking, really, this is what you want to go do? But it was, and I, I was, you know, I was amazed by the way a body worked, and I think by the time I was in fourth grade, I knew I, was, I wanted to be a doctor. Interesting. So you're going through high school, you, you apply for undergrad, did you apply for medicine, or what, what was that moment like as you transitioned oh. from, from high school to undergrad? Yes, so um, I went to Penn State, 
and uh, my I did I do remember applying to Cornell as an undergrad, and I, I didn't get in. I didn't even get an interview, and I was okay with that. Um, Penn State was close, and my father told me he was happy to support me at college. He could do a better job if I chose a school that wasn't so pricey. So I went there, and um, I was really glad that I did. It, I'm an extrovert, so it was okay for me to be in a big community. Um, and I had this love and passion as well like for uh, classical mythology, so I did a minor in classics, and it enabled me to study abroad in Greece my last semester, which was a oh, fascinating fun. experience and almost like a break before medical school. So, um, so that's what I did. So I, I had a great time at Penn State. I still keep in touch with people. My best two girlfriends are coming next weekend to go to the Philadelphia Flower Show with me. Can't wait to be with them. So <laughs> shout out to Karen and Allison. <laughs> the shout outs. So... It sounds like you were really on that path. By the time you were really young, you loved anatomy. You loved. Uh, you looked up to to a, a family friend um, in the uh, that that influenced you. Um, so you're you're in medical school now, and it sounds like money wasn't something that really had been taught to you, but you had kind of a work ethic. So I'd love to know what were your experiences with money at this particular point in your journey. Oh, oh, this is actually quite interesting. So I, um, oh, during my summers in, in college, I started working at Merck, uh, the pharmaceutical company, and I did research in cardiovascular pharmacology. And I actually went to medical school thinking I, I started out as an MD-PhD candidate. I had a full ride to the National Institute of Health program. Um, they call it Medical Scientist Training Program. And uh, at the time when I started at Duke, I thought I was going to do a PhD, and I was granted full tuition plus a $9,000 stipend. And, wow. you know, these crazy parents of mine who, you know, my mother, <laughs> you know, you, you laugh and you say how, oh, I do all these things, and that's kind of more than most people do. It comes right from my mother. So she raised those five kids, and then she went out and ran the PTA and started the drug prevention program and saved the library and ran the thrift store in town. And... uh so my mother was very thrifty herself. So, you know, she taught me how to save a penny. So um, medical school, I lived on $9,000 a year, and I saved about two every year hmm. in Durham, Durham, North Carolina. And then um, when I got to my second year of medical school, I was partway through my clinical rotations. At Duke, we did one year of basic science and then went right into clinics. And then if I had stayed in my Ph.D. program, I would have done probably five years as a Ph.D. and then gone back to rotations. But I got to that second year, and for the first time I was taking care of patients, like hands-on, meeting patients, hearing their histories. And I had done all this research before. Research was exciting for me and interesting, but when I laid my hand on a patient and, and I spoke to them and I heard their story and... I guess what I became was a healer at that point, and I discovered that that was really where I needed to be. So I gave up my fellowship, and um, I had to take on several loans, but it wasn't awful then. I feel really badly for the young medical students who are hearing this. When I started Duke Med School in 1990, our tuition was $13,000 a year. Oh, <laughs> and, kill for that now. 
I know, at Duke Med, we were the third best med school in the country at the time. And that's astounding. It's so much more now. But they had already paid um, three years' worth of school for me, so I didn't have a big debt coming out of medical school. And I had saved money even in medical school, even on that stipend, I guess, because I grew up frugally. I, I still live that way, you know. I guess I'm telling the whole whoever is listening to this, but I still shop at thrift stores, so because it's really fun. <laughs> so, well, it's a good, good habit to have. Interesting. So, you you make this change. I, I want to know more about that moment. You know, you're you're sitting with a patient. You're, you're having this connection. Was it a moment that was exhilarating? Was it a moment that was a little depressing just in, in having to know that you're changing course. What was that moment like, you know, as, as oh, you yes, consider changing yes. course? Exhilarating and frightening, but I think frightening only given my age. So it was exhilarating because you feel as though I know what I need to do, you know, for the rest of my life. I know what's going to make me happy in my career for the rest of my life. It was like a, a lightning bolt. And, um, I, can still, it was during my pediatric rotation, it was my second rotation, and I, I still remember some of the names of those patients and some of their clinical situations. Um, they stuck with me, and I can think of one in particular, a little girl who did not make it, and her family, and after, after the little girl had passed um, from leukemia, I was speaking to the parents and the father I call these moments of grace. I'll get a little choked up. I apologize. But the father, despite his grief, thanked me mm-hmm. and, um, and just said how, how wonderful it was to, have, to work together with me. And I just felt that even when things go bad, this is where I want to be. You know, I want to be helping and healing. And that was my moment of, I, I can't keep, I can't stay in this fellowship because I don't want to be a researcher. I want to be a doctor, a doctor who heals people. And then I went and I called my parents. They were the first people I called. I was a little frightened then, um, but they were the same people they always were, just so supportive. And um, they said, of course, you know. Some, we'll make it through med school. We'll figure this out. This is what you need to do. And then even when I went to my MD-PhD advisor, I still remember him uh, very clearly, Sal Pizzo, another shout-out. Um, he'll probably never hear this, but he was enormously supportive, and then I knew I was fine. But I, I was a little frightened going into those situations because there you are at, you know, listen, I'm like a little Hilltown, Pennsylvania country girl, at Duke Med and then going into one of the most powerful biochemists office and saying, I'm going to reject everything that you've given me here and take another path. And, you know, I didn't know what was going to be said. And I was just, I was really bowled over and very grateful. So anyhow. Wow. Well, what what a moment, what a powerful, powerful moment that, that certainly changed your career and, and uh, what, what you're doing. Um, and you end up going through residency with a three three year program of residency pediatrics then? yeah pediatrics, pediatrics yeah so um, when and I when trained, you yeah trained in Chicago yeah 
Did you see for yourself, you know, in terms of, it sounds like the way your mom had trained you, you mentioned going to thrift shops and that you were saving even when you had a tiny little sliver of money. Were you seeing a difference between yourself and your colleagues? You know, how would you say that the way you thought about money was the same or different than other residents and people you were around? Well, I I do think I, I was probably more frugal than most, but I think that, you know, whatever money that you have, I mean, money, I just look upon it as a tool, right? You know, I mean, you, you learn to earn it, and then you decide how you're going to spend it. And I really think that, you know, our money really should be ours to spend the way we choose as long as we're not harming anyone else in the process. Um, I think that I saved more than most, but I still spent on some things. You know, my husband and I, we traveled um, in residency. Um, we always traveled off season, so we actually didn't spend very much. I mean, when you're, we were living in Chicago, I think we each made $20,000 a year as residents. Pretty funny. I mean, he's a surgeon. I think he had some weeks when he was working 130 hours a week. We figured out and calculated what it was per hour one time, and I think we just knocked that number right out of our minds because it just made us sick. But um, <laughs> we still managed, even on that salary, to be able to travel and you know, went for various places. So I scrimped in those areas of I would usually cook for myself because I love to cook, and I would, you know, in terms of purchasing things, most of my things are always bought. I don't ever, almost never buy anything unless it's on sale or um, it comes secondhand, which is now chic and recycling. But um, even back then I was like that, and I think most people weren't. And, and that's okay. I mean, everyone decides how they're going to spend their money, right? So well, here's, um, here, here's the thing I wonder. I'm sure there's someone out there listening right now, and they're like, I buy some things on sale, but maybe they're not clipping coupons or doing something like that because they just don't have the time, right? Time is so precious right, for right. many physicians. How do you find the time to hunt down the deals, and you mentioned going to thrift shops. What are some hacks that you think might be good to pass on to other doctors oh, that you okay. use? Yes, okay. Well, I'm a rabid multitasker. So um, I, I guess I've taught my children to kind of enjoy the way that I shop. So my daughter and I shop together, and then that's our way of spending time together. So, mm. I, you know, a lot of people think must have some fabulous vacation, must sit at a nail st- shop and get nails done with daughter. That's how you spend time together. I think like hey, Amanda, let's go to Impact Thrift Store. (laughs) And she loves it, to tell you the truth. Um, And then I think even in terms of other household tasks, um, this morning my son and I cleaned out the refrigerator together because it needed to be done and he had a couple extra minutes. And I said, hey, how about we do this together? We fold laundry together as a family. Isn't that like the dumbest, dorkiest thing you've ever heard? But (laughs) in football season, my husband, he's a big, you know, football aficionado, so is the youngest and, like, we'll sort the laundry and fold the laundry all together in front of Monday Night Football. And so, like, we multitask. We do things that, I guess, it saves us money because we're not hiring someone to do the laundry like a two-physician family, and we're not, um, you know, we're not running out and purchasing clothes at Bloomingdale's and Lord and & Taylor. And, but we find our ways of saving money and kind of incorporating that with our family time that we do things together. <laughs> I actually save a lot of money growing those vegetables too, I'll add, and cooking, and my kids cook with me. So uh, as a hack in terms of doing those things and making time for them, make them fun. 
when coupons mm-hmm. were more available, and I don't think they are as much, the kids used to clip coupons with me from the Sunday paper. And, like, you know, little kids love to cut out coupons oh, and yeah. pictures. Yeah. My, my, so, li- I mean, my littlest would, would tear it up. <laughs> there wouldn't be much left after she's done with it. Yeah, <laughs> she's a little distracted, so my little miracle. Um, well, I'd, I'd love to know, so we, we talked about some good habits that you have, Marion. What do you think, you know, is the worst mistake that you've made financially? Oh, wow. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, now you've stymied me. Um, I get, you know what people would tell me is my worst mistake, but I don't see it as a mistake. My husband handles the, you know, when we make money and then we decide we're going to invest or whatever. Mm-hmm. He, he, he does that part. It's just not, you know, I'm good at saving money and I'm, as a pediatrician, I'm not as good as most professions. And <laughs> medicine is making money. We're the bottom of the barrel, and that's okay. I knew that going in. I guess I would say the worst financial mistake was maybe choosing to be a pediatrician, but I love it, so I'm not going to complain. That was my choice. I knew it would be on the lower side. And then others might say, well, one of your mistakes is you shouldn't let your husband handle everything. You should have something separate. But I think we have a, we have a 22-year-old rock-solid marriage. <laughs> I think it's all going to be okay. It's working out all right. Is it something where you feel like for yourself that maybe you feel like you could use some more knowledge in that area, but you've just kind of put, I definitely put it on do. Yes, yes. And I, I truthfully to tell you, um, I have found a financial type person, and he and I have sworn we're going to get together and meet at some point. Um, so another shout-out to Scott. I, I think I'll see him on Thursday night at a meeting, but um, a social meeting. But... Uh, it just my life is so full right now that finding that time can be a little bit difficult. But I do need to do that. I really do because, you know, people have astutely pointed out, you know, what if something, you know, not that, you know, I pray it doesn't, but what if something happens to your husband? You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's good to be knowledgeable about those things. All right, my friends. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast today. Make sure to look out for part two next week. And we're going to get into, it might even be a little controversial. So make sure to stay tuned as Marion goes off for a moment. So this will be fun. It'll be interesting. Maybe it'll open your eyes and give you a little bit of a new perspective. And with that, my friends, remember, slash your debt, slash your taxes, live a liberated lifestyle. This is Dave Denniston. I'll talk to you next time.